This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and I am joined today by the full crew, David Brady and Jordan, joining myself for this episode. We got a lot to talk about today. We have an official bowl destination for your Panthers, our bowling once again, and it is a Christmas Day trip down to Montgomery, Alabama for the 2021 Camellia Bowl versus Ball State. We'll react to that news, talk about a mixed week in men's basketball, and finally, we're going to do part two of our initial preview in future Sunbelt members, talking about Marshall and James Madison. But first, Jordan, can you give us a little bit more of uh, sort of the, uh, the details you need to know about the Camellia Bowl? Yes. So, like you said, it is the Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day in Montgomery. Uh, it's going to be in the Crampton Bowl Stadium right there in Montgomery on Christmas Day at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, live on ESPN. That's big boy ESPN, ESPN Uno. Uh, as we've talked about, this is the third straight bowl game for Georgia State and the fourth in head coach Sean Elliott's five seasons. A win would give them an eighth win in 2021, which would be a new program high. Ball State of the MAC is the opponent. The university is located in Muncie, Indiana, and the Cardinals are 6-6 six and six on the season, going bowling for the second time in as many seasons under head coach Mike New. New is an alum of the school and wrapping up his sixth season in charge and sports a 28-40 and 40 head coaching record. The teams have split two all-time meetings on the gridiron, with the road team winning each part of a home-and-home home they played in 2015 and 2016. So, gentlemen, initial thoughts about this Christmas Day bowl game matchup? Well, it is uh, what we maybe feared. I think all of us out there had a, a feeling in our gut that it might end up being the Christmas Day game after all. And, you know, first I want to say that we will earnestly talk about this. We will give the insight. And, you know, at the end of the day, Jordan talked about it. This is a chance for Georgia State to go win their eighth game, which would be a new high. It would be a real exclamation point on just a great end of season run to get to this point. And the other part that I want to mention before I go into my thing is that Coach Elliott said all the right things when he talked to the media. The players will probably do the same whenever they're talking to the media, even if it's just after the game, that they're all going to say the right things and about it's an opportunity, about the TV numbers on Christmas Day, and not all of those arguments are without merit. But the thing is, is someone should say the incorrect thing. And the, the incorrect thing is that it's just no fun at all that you're scheduling a Christmas Day bowl game. It's no fun for the fans who are either going to choose not to go and wish they were going to Georgia State's bowl game or the ones that are going and it's going to change their holiday schedule. It's obviously it's a burden on the players and the coaches who are I mean, their families are going to be in Montgomery. I'm sure they're going to make the most of it. They're going to do it up as best they can, but it's still taking away that holiday cheer. And for what? Bowl season starts on the 17th. You've got all the time in the world between the 17th and the college football playoff ending. You don't need a Christmas bowl. You got the NBA on Christmas Day. People watch that. People like that. And sure, there's maybe an avenue of fans that like college football and that what they want to watch on Christmas Day in the afternoon is going to be a game between Georgia State and Ball State because it's the only thing on. And, you know, there is that avenue. But those people will be fine if the game was on the 23rd. Those people would be fine if the game was on the 27th, you know, whatever day you would put it on. And I just think it is completely unnecessary for there to be a Christmas Day Bowl game. And I, I like I say, I don't think it's going to affect the team. They're going to be ready for it, but they shouldn't have to opt into that. Like, you can do better. 
Yeah, I feel like the only reason it's on Christmas is because Christmas happens to be on a Saturday this year, and college football is played on Saturdays. But at the same time, though, like you can put the game on literally any other day. Like there are plenty of bowl games in other years that happen on not Saturdays. You know, it did happen last year. I could almost see the argument being made of like, you know, it's just like a cool thing of you were having football on Christmas and like you have a captive audience of like it really isn't that much going on. But it just like feels like one of those things on paper that it's like, oh, this will be cool. And then when you get down to like actually having to do it, it's like, oh, this kind of sucks. But I mean, a, a ball game is a ball game. You know, it's these are good arguments and problems to be having, I guess. But hopefully, yes. you know, this is uh, just a... a, a a, a slight stepping stone on Georgia State getting to more uh, prestigious non-Christmas day bowls like, in season. If forward. we're circa 2014 doing Thursday night podcast, we're not having conversations about like, oh, this bull suck. Like it's like win more than one game. <laughs> so like <laughs> the team has progressed to a point where you can have these arguments about you know what's fair or fair about bowl game, and certainly. You know, North Avenue team, Georgia Tech, would love to trade places and still have a bowl game to play, and they can't because they only won three games, and Georgia State won seven. And fill in the blank with all of the schools that couldn't make a bowl happen. Like, obviously, everyone would love that chance to play one more game, and Georgia State does have that. I just think the people who set the dates could do a better job of setting the dates and just let the opportunity pass. It's fine. There doesn't have to be a game on Christmas. Like I said... There was one last year to to what David said. I, I think last year was the first year the Camellia was on Christmas, but uh, Buffalo and Marshall played in the Camellia Bowl last year on Christmas, and I'm sure it was just as well received by the people who had to take part. Yeah, I actually. What you're telling me is uh, Jamil Muhammad's uh, touchdown against Troy. You would actually like him to not have scored that because you wanted Troy to win so that they could fill this bowl spot. Well, I, I I don't know about that one, Chief. Reading between the lines, I'm pretty sure that's what Brady was trying to say. Yeah. Literally just don't schedule this game on Christmas. There's nothing wrong with the Camellia Bowl. There's nothing wrong with the Crampton Bowl. There's nothing wrong with Ball State. Just don't play this game on Christmas. The bummerest thing of all, and I'm making up that word, I'm rolling with it, is Montgomery's a great location for Georgia State. Of the locations that there are for bowl games, it's, I think, the closest, if not the closest. It is. The second clue. Well, I, yeah, technically, there's a bowl in Atlanta, but Georgia State wasn't They're not going to that. Bowl. That's no. fine. Um, it's the closest one. And so in an ideal world, it's what you would go for for traveling, you know, the best support for Georgia State to get there. And adding the Christmas factor means there's going to be people opting not to travel, which it's the holidays. You understand it. Uh, but if it were not on Christmas, I think a lot of people in the Georgia State verse would be like, yes, this game is totally day trippable like we're gonna go like i know there are people that i've talked to uh, younger alums that are would be interested in making the trip but for the fact that it's on christmas and you know at the end of the day i hope that the tv ratings for the people who make money off of tv i hope that it's worth it for them i do it sure is happy holidays i think actual uh tickets sold for last year's matchup in the uh Camellia bowl was like 2500 which what i yeah uh, yeah is uh even by georgia state low attendance standards is abysmal so, right uh, and <laughs> i understand they just kind of they take that into the equation like it is about the tv numbers more than the attendance but that's that's not what college football is about. Right. You, know, you don't need you to stick go. a game on a day that there isn't going to be attendance and just be like, well, we're still going to have viewers on TV. No, you 
that's not what the bowl games are for the players and for the fans and it's not for the people who make money off ad revenue sorry if that offends they're for duke's mayo because they're cool but only them i guess in the interest of being an interesting pod that isn't just griping about stuff you know david what are your initial ball state thoughts on the actual matchup itself well, um, I think I'm, I'm really curious by, you know, kind of the predictions and the uh, hashtag nerd numbers that I've seen floating around on this game, because I feel like people think this game will be a little bit closer um, than I guess that I necessarily think it will be. Um, I think Ball State has struggled um, defending the run against teams that can run the ball. Um, and hi, welcome to a Georgia State podcast. You know, the like the one thing that this team can really do offensively at an elite level is run the ball. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about a team that gave up four point. One eight yards per carry, um, you know, gave up 200 yards in a game six times out of the 12 games. Um, it wasn't all losses. You know, there was a couple of times where they gave up 200 yards and they won. Um, but I don't know. I just I really don't foresee a situation where, you know, a team of Ball State's caliber can hang with Georgia State if Georgia State's able to just, you know, get on the Panther Express and, you know, run. But you know, at the same time, though, I think that Ball State clearly they've been in close games this year. Obviously, they at some point this year had a good defense. So if they are able to stop Georgia State from running the ball, you know, that might give them much more of a chance. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that you jump to when you're looking at bowl opponents, because it's not a team you're likely to have faced or common opponents may not be that common when a Sunbelt team and a Mac team face off, but they have one this year and it's army and Georgia state, as we all remember, lost the opener to army 43, 10. And it was a game that wasn't close basically the entire time. And the ball state actually beat army 20 to 16. And that game was uh, on October the 2nd. Uh, but the thing is, is that loss for Georgia state. I mean, that was a different, football team like that was not the same Georgia State and the, the one the, the army lost to Ball State neither team got over 300 total yards of offense that day uh, Ball State had a kick return for a touchdown I think they got two interceptions and you know his army was behind so they were throwing the ball a lot and that's why you got interceptions of a team and so I don't really think that the common opponents thing that is usually a, a good go-to means much of anything because it felt like almost two seasons ago for Georgia State, and it doesn't seem like exactly the same Ball State team who they lost three of their last five, uh, scraped by a pretty bad Akron team to get one of those wins uh, in November. And so I, I guess I'm in the same boat as you. As I feel like it's a game that it's in Georgia State's wheelhouse. If they show up to prepare, the factor of Christmas is not a factor, and they just go about their business during this couple of weeks of practice. Like I do think that it works out for Georgia state and yeah, I want to kind of go deeper, deeper and watch more bowl state as we continue to go in this bowl month. And we're definitely going to have more pod to pod on ball state next week, week after and all that good stuff. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that one of the strengths for ball state's defense has got a lot of interceptions. They got 15 on the year. 
Georgia State has had four when Darren Granger has been quarterback, and three of the four of them were kind of downfield throws, arm punts slash plays that I think the wide receiver should have made a play on that ended up being interceptions, including the weird one against Arkansas State with alternating possession, and Sam Pigney had it, and then he didn't. And then the last one was the desperation pick six against Auburn, which all was out the window. You were trying to get a win, try to get at least a tying field goal there. And so Darren was kind of letting loose. Darren doesn't make those type of mistakes that Ball State's really going to be hoping for in the passing game. And so I think when you look at the matchup and what Ball State does well, that's one strength that I don't think they're going to be able to utilize to the most because Darren Granger isn't been the quarterback that puts the ball in harm's way like that. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, and, you know, kind of one last point about the Army thing is, you know, Army played that game without their starting quarterback, which, you know, we're talking about a triple option team. So me saying quarterback is kind of weird. But, like, I think Christian Anderson really kind of made that Army team go early on in the season. And when he missed games, that was when they kind of started to lose a couple of games. Um but obviously, Ball State took advantage of that and, you know, come, came away with a win. So, you know, it remains to be seen, at, you know, what Ball State team shows up against Georgia State and, you know, what, what Georgia State's kind of able to do uh, against them. Got to be out for blood, too. Got to get revenge from that 2016 opener that kind of pretended the end of the Trent Miles era. A disappointing home loss there. Moving on to some Panther basketball news, a uh, so-and-so one-and-one week for the men's team, dropping an 83-77 contest at Mercer on Saturday and then turning it around to handle NAIA Voorhees College 80-51 to on Monday night. Uh, the Panthers are now 4-3 and three on the season. One bit of positive news, the team is now back at full strength, minus Elias Asemi after uh, Jaheim Hudson and Colin Moore, who missed the first six games due to injury in Monday night's win. Everybody else who had had missed time in the Rhode Island game on November 27th, except for Hudson, had returned in the Mercer loss. They are back in action next Tuesday, December 14th in Starkville when they take on Mississippi State at 8 p.m. Eastern. The game can be seen online on SEC Network+. Plus. Mississippi State, coached by Ben Howland, formerly of UCLA. Um, so the Bulldogs are currently 6-2 on the year. Uh, they'll play Colorado State at a neutral site in Fort Worth, Fort Worth Texas on Saturday before returning home to host Georgia state. So gentlemen, like we alluded to earlier, you know, a bit of a up and down week for the men's uh, program. What are our, what are our takeaways uh, from the last few days of Panther basketball action? I mean, I think it was good that basically everyone was back on Saturday, played a game that it wasn't like Rhode Island where it's like, well, this game is a dead rubber, you know, doesn't tell you anything. Is still, I think, an ultimately disappointing result because defense really let Georgia State down and Mercer had two guys, uh, James Glisson third and Jalen Johnson, who, I mean, it was in Georgia, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the Hawks' Jalen Johnson. But he did play, like, you know, a first-round drive back that game. He had a really good game. Those guys kind of terrorized Georgia State. Mercer kept forcing matchups down low on guards, and no one like Jaheim Hudson didn't play LEL still out. And so Georgia state was having to go down and further down their uh, front court rotation to the point where Jamal Kleiss was playing some five, which he's not a center. And, you know, he was playing hard to his credit, but Georgia state maybe was a little bit undermanned and they couldn't really get any kind of presence at either end inside. So despite the fact that Nelson Phillips had a career three point shooting day, there's weren't enough stops there. And, it, Georgia State's got some stuff to work out defensively. Like, just 
The offensive numbers are pretty well evening out. Georgia State's about at you know, 75, uh, 73 per KenPom.com in offensive efficiency, which, uh, and currently number 12 in the country with 41% three-point shooting percentage. So shots are falling. I think they've kind of rounded out back to their usual selves offensively, and especially now that everyone's back. But defense is where you're going to have to make their bacon because if they don't get these uh, problems ironed out with or without LAL, I think they're still going to need without him to find some answers because even when he's back, he can't play 40 minutes. You know, that's going to be the story of where this Georgia State team gets to. Because right now, you know, the defense that was there against Mercer going to lose some games in Sunbelt play because there's big guys that can hurt you. There's three-point shooters that can hurt you in the conference. Yeah, I feel like the defense is absolutely something that should be kind of raising some red flags. I'll admit, you know, you, Brady, yourself were kind of on that one a few weeks ago. Um, and I kind of let it slide uh, for, you know, my viewing Personally, but I definitely think some better defensive play makes that Mercer game a lot better. And I mean, I guess the if I can scare you for a second, the scary part to me was kind of just the lack of defensive fundamentals. Um, I don't think Mercer did a lot of crazy things, you know, you know, some of it was just front cuts. Some of it was just, you know, uh, extra pass into the paint and then an open guy because of a bad rotation on the other side um, that led to a lot of open threes, which they made um, it, it, you know, Mercer shot less from the three-point line than Georgia State did, but it was also just an absolute relentless attack at the basket for Mercer. Um, And that's kind of a different way than what we saw, uh, not Rhode Island, that's kind of different from what we saw Richmond do because Richmond would kind of pass out of that those situations and hit those open, you know, jumpers on the outside. But, you know, if Georgia state is just giving up that many points in the paint, and if this, you know, if guys teams are just going to be living in the painted area, then it's just going to be a long season. And I don't know if the return of LEL kind of helps that it does help that. Sorry. I shouldn't say, I don't know that. I, I don't know if that by itself fixes the problem, I'm sure it will help it, um, but they Georgia State just has to find ways to be better defensively in that specific regard. Because I mean, teams are just going to start eating them up, if, especially if they're doubling on the strong side and you know leaving somebody open, and teams are just swinging passes. Like it's you know it's not like crazy offensive you know looks that are getting to Georgia State. It's just really simple fundamental stuff. And I was I was happy to be there down in Macon, made the drive down sitting on the front row in Hawkins arena. And, you know, the truth is it sounds like we're all being dour, dour, dour. And it was a loss, but Georgia state led by two at the break. And it was pretty back and forth for most of the second half there. And then at a certain point, Mercer got on a run led by Glisson the third and Johnson personally getting a seven Oh run that pushed the lead out to 10. And the lead was 10. A couple minutes later, it was 72 62 Mercer led. And I wrote down on my notes, if yeah, what I actually wrote was 80 comma, it's over. And the point was Georgia state was down 10. There wasn't that much time left. And so if Mercer got to 80 points, that was Georgia state was not going to be able to score enough points to get back in the game. They had to put some stops together and to their credit, they started putting some stops. They got some steals. There were some costly turnovers that would Georgia state would have the opportunity down four to 
get on offense, get back, and maybe push it back to one possession game. Had a bad pass that went out of bounds. They never got closer than that, but you know they did a lot of the things that you need to do late in games to get pressure going. They cut it back to a four-point game on a Jalen Thomas three, and it seemed like, okay, maybe they're about to steal this one again, and it, it didn't happen. And just right at the end, Mercer got over that 80-point hurdle and uh, ended up winning 83-77. And uh, Georgia State gave themselves a chance there at the end. They were holding them in the high 70s for a while, and it was keeping them in the game. It was sort of the same situation with the Baylor upset in the tournament with the shot is that you know Baylor didn't score in the final two plus minutes of that game. And it was the same situation where Mercer's score was stuck on the same for a couple of minutes and Georgia state couldn't take advantage enough. Yeah. You know, I liked what Georgia state did at the end of that game. You know, they absolutely clawed their way back and kind of made it interesting there, but you're not going to have a situation where you're doing a three court press for, you know, 60 or what is it? Yeah. 40 minutes. That's, I mean, that's not, that's not a realistic way of playing defense in today's college basketball environment, um, especially for a team like Georgia State who wants to run as often as they do on offense. Like that, you know, that is the quickest way to have a rash of injuries and tire guys out. So, you know, I'm encouraged that Georgia State can slap on a, you know, a press and be really effective and, you know, kind of uh, minimize their offense in a way that is efficient and lets them score. Um, but, they, you know, it's one of those things where that should be in your toolbox, but it shouldn't be your only skill. You know, they're going to have to find ways to be better just defending in the straight up half court. And, you know, until you see that, it kind of doesn't matter how good they are, you know, pressing at the end of halves. Yeah, and, you know, they did get back to basically entirely half-court defense when they played Voorhees on Monday night. And I think there was one possession I could remember in that game where they broke out a little press and they got a they got a transition bucket out of it. And other than that, it was basically all setting up in the defense, having the offense come to them, get stops. And you know, Voorhees had some success shooting threes and so <laughs> and didn't ever really go away. It was, Jordan said it took a while most of the game to get above 20 points, which it was an NAIA school. So that worries you a little bit, but I, I think just offensively Georgia state maybe got a little bit out of their, what they needed to do, started forcing some threes and Voorhees was playing tough fighting, getting extra possessions and all that. But you know, a forced a lot of turnovers against an NAIA school playing mostly half court defense, which I think it's fair to say some of that is just who you were playing. Like some of the, the turnovers that Voorhees had were just like guy dribbled it off his foot. Guy got in the paint and just lost the ball and went out of bounds. Bad pass here or there that you, you can't rely on those against your Mississippi States or your Georgia Techs or Sunbelt teams. But I did think it was important that they did get 40 minutes of basically just going it without the pressure packages and just getting more times in the half court because, you know, mistakes were made. More rotations were missed and guys got open looks, but you know, we're talking about guys like Jamal Kleist that are freshmen and you're talking about the younger guys and even a guy like Jordan Rawls who hasn't played in this system with these guys. Even when you have bad rotations and bad possessions defensively against a team like Voorhees and they get a good look out of it, you hope that that's something you can have as a learned experience and you grow from. And so I think that you got some of that. I don't think you got the encouraging final score or the encouraging big performance. You maybe would hope a race. What was a disappointing loss on the road to Mercer? But uh, the only other thing I would want to mention from the Voorhees game is that 
Jalen Thomas was being pretty quiet for most of the night, and he checked in one last time. And I remember Coach Lanier said a few specific words closer to him right before he checked back in. And he scored on four straight possessions and started looking more and more like the Jalen Thomas that we saw at the end of last year. And hopefully it's a springboard for him because I think he's struggled this year. I think he has been missing LEL. I know we've talked about it a couple of times through this basketball season, but I also think it's a case of maybe, maybe he's just thinking about stuff on the court too much and not doing. And I say that because it was basically automatic down that crunch stretch in conference play last year where he was just getting in positions on offense and setting up the baby hook and guy got it to him. He had space. He put it up and make it. And it, it just, that hasn't been there. And when he's missing some of these good looks that he's been getting as was happening, some against Mercer on Saturday, that's where it's like, all right, this isn't even the, the guy that we know can play like, and what he can do best. And so I think it was good that they made a concerted effort there late in that game to get him, finishing on a high in that game and something you need to build on because you kind of need him to find that again. And I think that it's understandable struggles he's been through. I think he is suited to play against LA or sorry, he's suited to play next to LEL and they, they complement each other. Well, he hasn't had that opportunity. He's maybe been asked to do some of the things that LEL excels at more than he does. And like I said, I think maybe just caught in between doing multiple things, caught thinking on the floor and, that's just not a good place to be as a basketball player because if you get in your head, that's where you start messing up the things that you are usually consistent at. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the way that Thomas is paired with Jaheim has been interesting. Um, maybe they just haven't gelled. And, you know, obviously it takes time for chemistry to, you know, really develop. Like, I don't want to sit here and say that they don't complement each other or they, you know, aren't synergizing or whatever corporate speak you want to use, but um, I don't know, maybe some rust and the kind of the inconsistent play schedule just because of COVID and, you know, just where the team is at. And hopefully, you know, the bigs kind of settle down and find a way to be a little bit more impactful than they've been, you know, so far this season. And I think it's fair to say that Georgia State's not catching Mississippi State exactly the moment that they want to be as a team. They've been working through some stuff and you know, in some ways, it might be the best time for Georgia State to have this kind of eight-day break between when they played Voorhees and when they're going to play Mississippi State next Tuesday. And I think we probably collectively, it'd be fair to say we are less bullish on an upset happening as of this moment in time versus maybe when the season started. But I think it's an opportunity this week to worry about practice, worry about energy and practice and just doing all the right things in your prep rather than you've got a game on Saturday and you've got to turn around and travel to Starkville. You know, they do have time to kind of reset. They just won a game, which there are things that I think I'm sure they wish they did better, but a win is still a win and feels better than a loss when you have to play, you wait eight days before playing again. And so I think my, re- my expectation for this, as far as winning against Mississippi state are sort of reset from where they might've been, but we know that there's the the shooting power on this team to keep them in games if they're making shots. And we've seen this be a a better defensive team than it's been. And Mississippi state's definitely going to test them. Mississippi state saw probably how Mercer was able to exploit some matchups and they're going to be looking for those switches. And so the, uh, the emphasis is going to be on Georgia state for not letting themselves have that happen as much, you know, correcting some of the stuff that's been going wrong with defense and 
let it fly. See what happens. All right. So one last major topic for this week's episode, and that is the other half of our Sunbelt realignment discussion. Of course, talking a little bit today about Marshall and James Madison. But before we get into that, uh, from ESPN Lafayette, Louisiana's athletic director, Brian Maggard, says the current expectation is the three CUSA schools joining the belt, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, will be in the Sun Belt in all sports in 2022. JMU may join in 22 in all sports, but football because of reclassification from FCS to FBS. The details are yet to be worked out, but that's the current direction of travel. Relatedly, Little Rock officially announced plans to join the Ohio Valley Conference today as of recording this podcast, effective July 2022, helping clear the way for the new members. So, gentlemen, Marshall and James Madison, what are your thoughts? Well, I do want to say that this Little Rock news does make sense, and it fits with the timeline of these Conference USA schools deciding to make it happen in 2022. And, you know, but before talking about Marshall and James Madison. I think it's a good thing. I don't think there's any reason if if it can happen. I feel like just starting it off in 2022 with these new members is exactly what needs to happen. And UTA still probably on the move, but not yet as far as what we've heard officially. And so it might be one of those weird, like I don't know what that would be in basketball, 15 team basketball, something like that. It might be a little bit of a weird 15 team in basketball um, and 13 in football if JMU can't come in football, but I'm still excited just in general by there being moves like we were kind of a part of one of the last big ads and it felt like the App State and Georgia Southern came a couple years after, but it all felt like part of the same collective realignment cycle. And this is the first one that Georgia State's really been a part of as a conference, as a part of the conference. And so it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. You know, the way that these two teams kind of add to the football profile of the conference is really nice. You know, um, both of them are probably going to be in the Sunbelt East. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know where else they would go. Uh, but I think the, the Sunbelt East just got really competitive. You know, obviously, we know what James Madison has been doing in the FCS. You know, they're currently in the playoffs right now. And, you know, they... I, this is just going to continually increase their recruiting profile. You know, Marshall has been one of the better Conference USA teams. Uh, you know, I think they play App State or, you know, Coastal. They've played, you know, I think both of those teams the last couple of years. App State and Marshall at a home and home the last two years. They eat the home team won each one. Yeah. Um, you know, and both of those games have been high profile games for those conferences, let alone those programs. Um, so, you know, the fact that that's going to be a yearly matchup for each other, you know, that's really important. Um, and, you know, this is going to really elevate the profile of the conference from a football perspective. Like we've said, you know, I think. I think the people have called the Sun Belt kind of the new 6A or whatever is six power sixth conference, excuse me. Um, and, you know, if, if it's five, six years from now, like it's very possible that that could be the case. You know, I think where things need to be looked at a little bit closer is kind of these two schools on the basketball side. Um, neither of them are, you know, world beaters in that respect, but, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. So I think, you know, adding more to the middle class of the Sun Belt and from a basketball perspective um, really kind of changes the league just in terms of, you know, what is accepted and, you know, how them is. So, you know, these are still good additions from that respect as well. I'm sort of going to disagree with you right off the top. Marshall's probably coming in as 
a top four, top three Sunbelt basketball program. Marshall's been good. Uh, Dan D'Antoni, brother of Mike D'Antoni, is the head coach there. Um, and they went to the tournament 2018 and knocked off West Virginia, which, I mean, I can't even imagine how much of an awesome win for Marshall to get that over the, the big school in the state, so to speak. Big brother. Um, and they continue to put out good teams. They're currently 124 in Ken Palm. Georgia State is currently 126. And they have hover around the top 100 teams. I'm sure they're going to be one of the better teams in Conference USA this year and fighting for a conference uh, tournament berth, uh, NCAA tournament berth, winning the conference tournament. And, you know, we put this off a couple of times, peeling back the curtain a little bit is as football season kept going on, we meant to come back and do the part two of the new teams because we had talked about Southern Miss and Old Dominion previously. And it sort of worked out because this week, James Madison basketball beat Virginia. They had the Cavaliers come into their new arena and Mark Byington's boys led them on an upset. Everyone stormed the court. It seemed like a fun scene to be in. It sounded like there was a lot of fans angry at Coach Tony Bennett and yelling things at him. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. We put it off and that happened. And just speaks to, seems like there's something building there as well. They haven't necessarily been a powerhouse in the Colonial basketball-wise. And I feel like Georgia State fans' only impression of Mark Byington is like, Georgia Southern had good teams, but they could never get those wins in March when they counted. But it seems like he's got them, the arrows pointing up for them as well. And so I'm thinking they're both going to slot in in top half basketball as well. So I wouldn't want to let that uh, go without suggesting. I think that they both do add to basketball as well. I think you're right that it was a football ad in both cases. And (laughs) the Sunbelt East is just a gauntlet right now. And if it happens in 2022, Georgia State's going to buckle up because. They're out of conference is a pretty tough slate, and then they're going to have to turn around and probably play conference games all the way against really good teams. And uh, I guess we're going to see how it goes, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. Like, if you look at it, and even if Georgia State were to have a bad 2022 because they lose a couple of close contests against good teams, it's it's a good situation for there to be so much challenge and it's only going to be for the better for Georgia state to be in what might be the best G five division. All right. So we're going to be looking forward to those new Sunbelt editions alongside the two we've discussed previously in Marshall and old dominion. But before we get you out of here this week, we do have very quick sports bits and then some other stuff to talk about. So this week, Panther athletics, not a whole lot going on, just a couple of basketball games, women playing at Tennessee, lady volunteers in Knoxville, 2 PM on Sunday, sec network plus, and then on Tuesday, women playing versus Florida A&M in the sports arena at 6 PM on ESPN plus. And then as we talked about previously in this episode of men's basketball, taking on Mississippi state in Starkville, 8 PM on sec network plus and WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. And also, if you didn't see our announcement on Twitter, David and Brady got to sit down with both uh, the offensive and defensive coordinators for Georgia State football, Brad Glenn and Nate Fuquay this week, and talk a little bit about Panther football and some other fun stuff as well. And both of those interviews are currently up for our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Thursday night, and will go up to the general public later this week. So be on the lookout for those as well. And of course, if you want to see 
things like that before anybody else. You can join our Patreon for just $5 a month and help us out a whole lot in funding our coverage and getting us to do all sorts of other interesting stuff. But that's all we've got for you this week. We will see you back in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast with more Panther Sports news and analysis. See ya. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.